Amen, amen, amen. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to midweek service here. For those who are here personally and those who are online, welcome, welcome. As we will uh, finish up my favorite book on Wednesday night, the book of Judges here. And we're going to take uh, chapters 20 and 21. I hope you're all staying safe from the the fires that are and the fumes that are coming down from Canada upon us, uh, a little bit more uh, impacting on us in the community than I think any of us anticipated. Uh, hopefully they will get those fires uh, under control and stop of the, uh, the, the smoke coming down into the, into the states here. We definitely want to pray for that this evening. And, uh, and those who are very sensitive to the uh, allergies and smoke and all these other things that can impact uh, people so let's just pray for that we'll just get right into our service here father again we again thank you and praise you for your grace and your mercy upon our lives we lift up the situation in canada lord and all the fires that are going on and all those who are battling that fire and people from around the world coming to assist in those fires and the impact that it has not only in canada but so big of a fire that it's drifting and it affects those around them <laughs> and in this case all the way down from many states lord but especially us here right here on the border with them and i pray for those who are sensitive with asthma and allergies and all the other things and the chemicals that are coming across into the air lord and just uh pray for those who are in the elements and everything else lord that are being impacted by this that they would keep and strengthen them and encourage them through this time we pray lord you would bring rain upon Canada and to put out those fires and, uh, and do it quickly, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Judges chapter 20 and 21. Now, if you were with us and following along with this there in chapter 19, that was a quite the heavy chapter uh, in Judges where we found a situation where a, the concubine of the Levite was chopped into 12 pieces, and each piece, each limb, was then delivered to each of the tribes of Israel. It was a unique way of getting the attention of the atrocity, the demonic, the evilness, the things that have come upon the people of Israel uh, and much to do with the fact that they adopted and brought in much of the worldliness into their lives. And when you bring the world into your life, you act like the world, you sound like the world, you play like the world, you want to blend like the world, guess what is going to have of an effect on your little world. And when it affects your little world, it always affects those around you. And we find that the uh, tribe of Benjamin, instead of recognizing the wickedness that was within that caused this concubine, uh, one of the reasons this concubine came to be brutally raped and to the point of death, and then that resulted in an uncontrolled Levite of expressing his anger and sending her pieces of her body around to get their attention of the nation of the rest of the tribes, we find in the last two chapters where we pick right back up. And we pray that the Lord is going to show us through these two chapters things, not only to understand uh, what it's under the scripture, but also to see how what the lessons are for us today in our, in our life and in our 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 country, our nation, and around the world to, as the Spirit of God applies it to, to us today. We see in Judges chapter 20 verses, let's start off by just taking the first two verses here, and it says, So all the children of Israel came out, from Dan to Beersheba, as well as from the land of Gilead. And the congregation gathered together as one man before the Lord at, at Mizpah. Remember, Mizpah is about eight miles north of Jerusalem, about only four miles away from Gibeah, 
the city that was where that atrocity took place there, which is part of the tribe of Benjamin. And the leaders of all the people and all the tribes of Israel presented themselves in the assembly of the people of God, 400,000 foot soldiers, soldiers who drew the sword. These are fighting men. These are not boys and women and children coming and I can't believe this is what happened. No, no, they probably in some part did go, but the main thing here is that all, you see the words all there, the leaders of all the people, all the tribes of Israel are, 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 are to be presented themselves in here as the assembly of people, as one man, if you see, they're gathered together as one man, I mean, in unity. They're one minus, they're focused, even though the tribes may be divisional in the tribes, but they had a common enemy now. <laughs> and that happens. You can be divisional in a family or it can be divisional, but if there's a common enemy, it's amazing how they will bring people together. And as we see this, that was the only positive note is the fact that they, the, the, these Israel of the nations of the Israel came, started to have a reason to come together to deal with the problem of sin in their midst, in their nation, in their land. And after receiving these pieces of corpse of the concubine, the 12 tribes of Israel pulled together an army of 400,000 fighting men here. Now it seems that the crime of Gibeah shocked the conscience of Israel. Today it seems like the crime of Gibeah would be suppressed by our media. Don't let the media put this out because it's a bunch of homosexuals just raped a woman and she was killed and they got cut up and moved. That would be suppressed in the, in the media today. Or the material would be more like a tabloid moment or a tele cable television and they would twist it somehow on the storyline and the daytime talk shows and radio shows and talking heads more than a national call to righteousness and repentance. And then we see that over and over played in our news today. Things that should be that could cause a nation to call, come to a call to righteousness and repentance of the atrocities that are going on in our cities and around our nation. It does not. It does not. But here it did. The leaders of all the people understood what the, the word of God said in Deuteronomy chapter 13 verses 12 through 18. It instructed Israel how to deal with such an abominations among them. You see this type of abomination, this is how you're supposed to deal with it. They said that it must first test the truth of the accusations to make sure it's true. And if it is true, then the charges become true. They must then utterly destroy those who commit such an abomination. But we'll find out that the tribe of Benjamin in the city of Gibeah were allowing the abominations to freely reign within the city and within the nation and within the lands. Verse 3. Now the children of Benjamin heard that the children of Israel had gone up to Mizpah. Go figure. 400,000 plus people mounting up four miles away from your doorstep. They're like, they're not having a family reunion and you weren't invited. More than likely, the tribe of Benjamin received one of the uh, limbs from this woman. So they heard what was going on. They heard what was the reason why they're doing it. Because all 12 pieces were spread out to all 12 tribes. Then the children of Israel said to them, Tell us, how did this, or not to the, the children of Israel were talking to now the Levite, right? The, 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 the guy who put those, those limbs out there. Uh, says, tell us, how did this wicked deed happen? So the Levite, the husband of the woman, who was murdered and answered and said, My concubine and I went into Gibeah, which belongs to Benjamin, to spend the night. And the men of Gibeah rose up, rose against me, and surrounded the house at night because of me. That's all he gives, right? There's no details of the fact that these homosexuals wanted to rape him as a Levite and have their way with him. But they, he didn't, he's not the one who went out there. Remember, the guy who was protecting him, the old man, 
who was protecting him in his house didn't sacrifice himself or the Levite. He was going to sacrifice his daughter and the concubine and ultimately sent the concubine out there. They intended to kill me. Well, no, I mean, ultimately kill you, but they wanted to rape you. But instead, they uh, revised my or revised my concubine so that she died. So I took hold of my concubine, cut her in pieces, and sent her throughout all the territory of the inheritance of Israel, because they committed lewdness and outrage in Israel. Look. All of you are children of Israel. Give your advice and counsel here and now. Now it's interesting how he presents it here. Because the children of Israel wanted to know what exactly happened. Is this true or not? Let's examine you to see what this is all about. And of course the Levite spins the story here a little bit to his own advantage. What he said was true. But he didn't mention the cruel and callous way he abandoned and allowed his concubine to be turned over to the mob. That part he, didn't, he left out, according to the scripture. And then he didn't say, I'm just calling, I've sent you these pieces just because I just want your advice. Don't you think you could get people's advice and counsel by just sending them a letter? Yes. What he did was manipulate them to come up through emotion, through anger and atrocity to get their attention. And then he simply gives them and says, give, give me your advice or your counsel. He knew exactly what he was looking for them to do. He didn't get all these hundreds of 400,000 men to show up armed and ready to go to war over the, of some of the details. He wanted them to be as angry as he is so that they would come to the conclusion through emotion and anger to go about and do what he wanted them to do. And that was to go and get those guys in Gibeah. Look at that. Give your advice and counsel. <laughs> Notice he didn't say, I bring you here today, let's seek God and let's pray and let's wait on the Lord and see what he wants to do. Didn't say that, do you notice that? He had already determined what he wanted to do out of revenge. There's no conversation with him about let's pray and seek the Lord on what the Lord wants to do through this. Instead, what we are going to do is do evil against the Benjamites just as he did evil against my concubine. Verse 8. So all the people arose as one man saying, none of us will go to his tent nor will any turn back to his house. But now this is the thing which we will do to Gibeah. What will you do? We will go up against it by lot meaning we're going to cast lots to see who's going, which tribe is going to go first to go try to um, conquer Gibeah. We will take ten men out of every hundred throughout all the tribes of Israel, a hundred out of every thousand, and a thousand out of, out of every ten thousand to make provisions for the people. We're even going to have all the people have enough provisions to support us going into war. So we're going to collect all the provisions and have everything logistically and we're going to go in lot by lot, tribe by tribe, we're going to take them out. Then when we had, they come to Gibeah in Benjamin, they may repay all the vileness that they have done in Israel. So all the men of Israel were gathered against the city, united together as one man. About 10%. 10% of the men of Israel were identified to go to war against Gibeah for some, a few men. This tragedy arose in the nation and forced it to look at its own spiritual condition. That's what tragedy will do. Will force you, and when you fall into tragedy in your life, and follow tragedy in your family, or a nation, or a city, or whatever, it should cause the, everyone to examine their own spiritual condition. The tragedy that brought about mobilization and unification. But 10% rised up. He tried to provoke 
this unity in some form or fashion to go against in, 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 in retaliation to Gibeah? It happened. They decided to launch a civil war against their own people to wipe out the Benjamite city of Gibeah. A small civil war, but it's a civil war all itself. And because of this huge thing that took place, it caused this whole unification and mobilization. And does that not ring a bell for you and I back in September 10th, 2001, when there was a mobilization and unification and emotion and anger and resentment and retaliation? All the emotions, you see, can play out even in today's world. Why did they do it? Because they had to repay all the vileness that they had done in Israel. And this was an extreme, but a valid and proper fulfillment of God's command to Israel's Deuteronomy 13. They're going to wipe out that abomination. It's just bigger than you would expect it would have to be for a few men. But look what happened and why this is all coming about, which tells you God is in the works of all of this because it wasn't like a few people heard the story. You say, okay, it was a few men. How many men we don't know that, that, that raped and, and killed this, this concubine, but it had been large, not so large, but they could have broken down the doors and broke down the house and got in to get the Levite. But no, some size, they should have negotiated, but look what, what they do. They actually send... A delegation. Look at what happens as we play out here in verse 12. Then the tribes of Israel sent men, the, the delegation, through all the tribe of Benjamin, saying, What is this wickedness that has occurred among you? Now therefore, deliver up the men, the perverted men, who are in Gibeah, that we may put them to death and remove the evil from Israel. So they did what's right. They're We're just looking for the men who are accountable for the murder. But, here's a bad but, the children of Benjamin would not listen to the voice of their brethren, the children of Israel. Instead, the children of Benjamin gathered together from their cities of Gib to Gibeah, seeing all the cities representative of the tribe of, of, of Benjamin, now are joining forces here to go to battle against the children of Israel. Now this little small little civil war is now is enlightening. It's just on flame now. Gasoline has been lit. Why? Because the nation or the tribe of Benjamin, the children of Benjamin, were not open and were not receiving the truth. They would not hear it. They were protecting and guarding their city and those perverted men within that city. They were okay with that going on in their city and their tribe. And from their cities at that time, the children of Benjamin numbered 26,000 men who drew the sword besides the inhabitants of Gibeah who numbered 700 select men. So we're talking about 26,700 men against 400,000 men. But notice here a qualification here of those 700 select men that comes from the inhabitants of Gibeah. Among all these people were 700 select men who were left-handed, which was an advantage of the, in the war, swinging the sword. Everyone could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. Very accurate sling throwers of the stones. Now besides Benjamin, the men of Israel numbered 400,000 men who drew the sword. All of these men were men of war. So the other tribes of Israel did the right thing. They asked the tribe of Benjamin to deliver up the men who committed the crime. They sought to justly resolve the crisis at the lowest level without full war. Doesn't have to be this to get any more of that. We've come as diplomats to make sure this is taken care of. But the tribe of Benjamin committed a great sin by putting loyalty their, to their own tribe and their own way or little life that they have created before the obedience of God's law. God's law said, his truth, his word said, then you see these abominations, these atrocities, these perverted men, they are to be put to death. 
They would not listen to God's law. They did what they wanted to do. in the. Uh, they thought what was right in their own eyes, if you remember. And we will see at the end of this, these two chapters as well. See, followers of God today can make the same mistake. They can make the same mistake today when they put the interests of their own nation or other differences of class or whatever the other difference it may be before the interests of the kingdom of God. It's so important for Christians to remember that we are the citizens of the kingdom of God, not as a particular nation so much as, or an ethnic background, or a class of background, or whatever you want to classify and divide and conquer people. We, as citizens of the kingdom of God, we are a family, one and equal. You should never put some other divisional per, uh, uh, sect or session or, or nation or people or class or whatever should never become more important than your citizenship in the kingdom of God first. We see that in Philippians 3.20. But this tribe of Benjamin not only failed to support the just cause of the other tribes to call it out according to God's word, and they actively resisted the other tribes with the assembling of 26,700 soldiers. And the army included the division of these 700 select men. And if you remember in Judges chapter 3, if you remember, there was a man who was highlighted as the bravest left-handed Benjamite out there at all time, and that was Ehud. And he came from this this sect of the, of the tribe of Benjamin. The tribes of Israel prepared a small civil war against the tribe of Benjamin because Benjamin would not come and, and they, they reacted to the same thing and are trying to get their forces together. And Israel was right in believing that the greatest good was not unity now. Bonding and saying, hey, brothers, Benjamins, you're, you're, we're unity, we're family. We have to keep the unity. No, 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 no. Unity apart from justice and truth is unity not worth having. How many people told us keep the unity? But the people who are trying your uni cause unity with, whatever that may be, within a church or churches or, 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 or na nations... You're trying to get unity, but if there's not justice and if it's not following the same truth of the word of God, you cannot have unity. Verse 18. We see the very first day of battle. Then the children of Israel arose and went up to the house of God to inquire of God. They said, which of us shall go up first to battle against the children of Benjamin? Remember, they were going to draw lots to see who was going to go first. But they went to God to make, find out who is that going to be. And the Lord said to them, through that lot process, Judah was first. So the children of, of, of Israel, meaning the largest of tribe, don't forget, keep that in the back of your mind. God made sure that the largest of the tribe, which means they would have had the most, probably the most men. So the children of Israel rose in the morning and encamped against Gibeah. And the men of Israel went out to battle against Benjamin. And the men of Israel put themselves in the battle array to fight against them at Gibeah. Then the children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and on that day cut down to the ground. That's never a good words in, the, in, in an army terminology. They were cut down. Mowed down, cut down, whatever you terms you're familiar with. They were cut down to the ground, 22,000 men of the Israelites. Whoo, that was a bloodbath. First battle. They sought the Lord, trying to figure out what. The only thing they asked of the Lord was what? Who was going to be the first one, the first tribe to go up against it? And God showed them Judah. And they were defeated. Now we could speculate that though they inquired of God, they only inquired of God of only answering what they wanted to have answered, and that is who was supposed to go first, because that was determined by Lot. 
And they still trusted in the mighty of their army. That's what they trusted in. Who do you want to pick, God, that should go first? Judah. That's a, okay, that's a large one. We're going to trust in our army, in our size of our army, in our, the strength of our army. We have more people, and it's in the goodness of, of this is what's going to be. Okay, God, you selected Judah. This should be good. Not good. They were defeated. No, they didn't ask God what to do. Should we attack or not? How we should attack or not? When we should attack or not? Is there another diplomatic way besides what was situations having? So we're not going in a civil war against each other. No, they didn't ask any of that. The only they asked is which tribe we should go first. But that is how we pray many times, is it not? We lean on our own understanding because we already think what we know needs to happen to deal with this issue with another person in your life that you're having confrontation with. We do what is right in our own eyes. We tell God to choose. God, which one is it? Plan A or plan B? And he's sitting there going, I didn't give you plan A and plan B. Why are you telling me I have to choose plan A or plan B? You're the one who came up with those things. You, you should ask me if I should even want any of that. But we'll always come up with plan A, B, C. And ask God to tell him and to bless anything I choose. Or bless whatever I, I end up doing. Just God will bless it. <laughs> we're, we're so foolish when we think that way. Just bless it, Lord. Seeking for God's perfect will and way and time is what we should be looking for. You can say, God, tell me I got A and I got B and I got C. God, which one do you think I should do? Because I'm not really sure and I'm, I don't feel comfortable and I've got doubts with all three and I don't think we should be doing this. But which one should you, you know, can you bless one of them? And God's sitting there going, Wait a minute, don't you want my perfect will? Don't you want it in my perfect way? Don't you want it in my perfect timing? Do you think you know more than me, or are you just seeking and leaning on your own understanding? But all your ways you should acknowledge me, and, and I'll direct your paths. I'll decide which way you go. So the Lord responded to their prayer. <laughs> okay. You, you don't want my, my plan? Okay. You want me to pick plan A, B, in this case A, going which tribe? Is that all you're asking me? Okay, I'll give you my permissive will rather than my perfect will. And if I give you my permissive will, that doesn't mean you're going to succeed. And we just saw in this first battle, they did not. They, they just lost 22,000 of their men. So what happened? The children of Benjamin came out of Gibeah and on that day cut down. Down to ground. This small civil war is getting bad. It's getting, it's getting more. 22,000 men of Israelites were just wiped out. That's it's staggering. It's a severe loss in that first battle. That would shake anybody. But for Benjamin, the tribe of Benjamin, ooh, this was successful resistance, man. Going against the largest, the big brother. Remember, Benjamin is looking up at the big brother Judah here. Little Benjamin, Benjamin here, just beat out the biggest tribe. So what do they think they're thinking? God is on their side. Perhaps there was something wrong in the way that the Israelites sought the Lord before this battle. Or is it also just as like, likely that this was a simple part of God's overall plan to discipline and correct his disobedient nation as a whole? Was this civil war a discipline of God on the nation for going against him? Because the Benjamites are not the only ones going against God here. All the nations were going against God. And not doing what God called them to do. Perhaps this was God's correcting way of disobedience to a nation through a tragic loss of life. 
We see in verse 22 and 23, we see the second, after the defeat, what happened And the people, that is, the men of Israel, encouraged themselves. Okay, men, get back up. We, we can't get me down. Let's not let them kick, them down, kick us down. Let's get back up. And again, form the battle line at the place where they had put themselves in array on the first day. They must have got a really serious pep talk by the generals that says, let's get back up, men. We've got to get back on that line. Then the children of Israel went up and wept before the Lord until evening and asked, and asked counsel of the Lord. What did they ask this time? They asked saying, shall I again draw near to the battle against the children of my brother Benjamin? Ah, it's just it's getting a little more personal. They're now asking, shall we go up against him again? And the Lord said, Go up against him. So what happens here? This was a wonderful reaction, right? They were encouraging themselves. Let's get to the battle line. Let's ask the Lord what is going to happen. They didn't lose hope. They didn't want to lose hope. It's like David in 1 Samuel chapter 30, verse 6. They strengthened themselves in the Lord and moved forward. And to their credit, the children of Israel did not stop seeking the Lord and the second time, even after the first disaster. They humbled themselves. They came back before God. Yes, this is good. Saw him a little bit more regarding the next battle. Should, shall we go forward? And for God said, yes, we'll go up against him. So here we find in verse 24 and 25, the second day of battle. So the children of Israel approached the children of Benjamin on the second day. And Benjamin went out against them from Gibeah on the second day and cut down to the ground 18,000 more of the children of Israel. All of these drew the sword. All fighting men just cut right down. I mean, this was not going to be an easy, quick, quick war. Let's settle this, get it. No, no, this is not a quick civil war. This is, this is, this is getting longer, it's more, more complex. Heavy losses, 22,000, now another 18,000. I mean, this was severe second loss. And this shows that even though the tribes of Israel sought the Lord, fought in a just cause, it was still a difficult struggle. There was a great cost for them to pay in doing what is right. They were losing 40,000 men. What happened? Verse 26. Then all the children of Israel, that is all the people. Emphasis there is that is all the people. Now everyone is really went up and came to the house of God and wept. They sat there before the Lord and fasted that day. Oh, now they're sacrificing. And they're, they're, oh, they're humbling themselves here. They fasted that day until evening and they offered burnt offerings and peace offerings before the Lord. Why didn't you do that before you thought about going to war? But the third time brought them to a humbleness in really truly seeking the Lord. So the children of Israel inquired of the Lord the Ark of the Covenant of God was there in those days. I mean, God's in the, he came into the, his presence. Venus, uh, um, boy, I just draw a blink on his name here. Uh, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, stood before it in those days, saying, Shall I yet again go out to battle against the children of my brother Benjamin, or shall I cease? And the Lord said, Go up, for tomorrow I will deliver them into your hand. Different wording here, notice. They went up, and all people, they are all now seeking the Lord. They are not taking this for granted anymore. They just lost 40,000 of their brothers and their fathers. Their sons, they just lost all those men because, again, they were relying upon their strength, maybe, and not truly of the Lord. 
wanting to God's perfect will and God working in all this to get God using this for his good to change the nation of Israel because they had gone and walked away from God. God allowed two days of defeat for the purpose of bringing Israel very low and humbled. They needed to be humbled. And these days of defeat compelled them to humble themselves. They finally were broken, finally coming and surrendering all versus relying upon their own knowledge and understanding and wisdom and strength and, and, and neither with their armies because they needed to understand they need, you can do nothing apart from God. And so God used to humble the whole nation through this process of a civil war. They had to understand that the honor of the crime of Gibeah was not merely the result of sin of one group of men. Or one city. Or even one tribe. They were just a symptom of what was happening throughout all the nation of Israel. The whole nation had to be humbled. Because they first thought the sin problem was just a Benjamin problem. But God needed to see that Israel had to see that the nation as a whole had a sin problem. So after the first failure, Israel was sorry, they wept, I'm sorry, they wept, but it was only after the second failure that they put their repentance into action by fasting and made a sacrifice for sins. They finally were truly repentant. See, because sorrow and weeping are not enough. They're not matched by real repentance and taking care of the sin problem with, with through sacrifice. The sacrifice of the cross is for us. They didn't have the sacrifice of the cross. They had to do the sacrifices of the law at that time, which was to, for the burnt offerings and the peace offerings. For us, the cross is the sacrifice for us. But we have to acknowledge our sin and we have to acknowledge the, of repentance and weep and yes, and come to the sacrifice. Jesus on, that was, who died on the cross, that is who we are to come. And the mention of Phineas as the high priest there in the scripture means that it gives us a date of when this takes place in the time of Judges. We see that this whole thing fairly was taking place early in the day, days of Judges, Numbers 25-7. And 25.11, that points in the beginning and when the judges first started is when this was all taking place because Phineas was the high priest at the time. That's why he said, go up. God said, go up for tomorrow I will deliver you them into your hands. So God didn't want the two days of humbling to make Israel think they could ever win without him. Sometimes he does that. He'll humble us enough once, twice, whatever it takes for you to finally come to your point and us to come to the point of end of ourselves and says, I can do nothing apart from you, God. Not my strength, not by power, not by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord. And so now God says, now, notice the words. Go up for tomorrow. I will deliver them into your hands. Now, that was true words from God. Before, okay, go. <laughs> okay, Judah. Okay, go. Now he says, I am now going to deliver. See, you and I don't want to move forward until God says, I am going to lead you and go do this. I'm calling you to this and I'm leading you to go do this. This is what I want you to do for me. When you hear that in the, from the word of God, from God directing you, you know you're going in his power, in his might, in his direction. Now we see the third battle of victory. We see victory. Look at what happens in verse 29 through 48. Then Israel set men in ambush all around Gibeah. And the children of Israel went up against the children of Benjamin on the third day and put themselves in battle array against Gibeah as as at the other times. So the children of Benjamin went out against the people and were drawn away from the city. 
they began to strike down and kill some of the people as at the other times in the highways, one of which goes up to Bethel and the others to Gibeah. That means they're going different directions or scattering. In the field, about 30 men of Israel, not 18,000, not 22,000, but 30 men of Israel. And the children of Benjamin said, they are defeated before us as at first. Just like we've done before, we're going to win this next battle. This third one's a charm, man. But the children of Israel said, let us flee and draw them away from the city to the highways. So all the men of Israel rose from their place and put themselves in the battle array at Baal Tamar. Then Israel's men in ambush burst forth from their position to the, in the plain of Geba, or Geba. And then the 10,000 select men, these are the ones that were hiding out in ambush around the city. They just didn't see them. Those 10,000 select men from all of Israel came against Gibeah, and the battle was fierce. But the Benjamites did not know that disaster was upon them. It was a surprise attack. The Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel, and the children of Israel destroyed that day 25,100 Benjamites. Big, big win. All these drew the sword. These were all fighting men. So the children of Benjamin saw that they were defeated. The men of Israel had given ground to the Benjamites because they relied on the men in ambush whom they had set against Gibeah. And the men in ambush quickly rushed upon Gibeah, and the men in ambush spread out and struck the whole city with the edge of the sword. Now the appointed signal between the men of Israel and the men of in the ambush was that they would make a great cloud of smoke arise up from the city, whereupon the men of Israel would turn in battle. So you can picture it. They're in battle, they've got lost 30 men, they started running. Those Benjamites started following them. There was another battle they wiped out. The Israelite wiped out. 22 of those men, thousand men took them out. While that was happening, the ambush of 10,000 was coming around the city, going in and attacking, taking over, and said, when you see us start burning this place up, you'll know that we're winning, and then you turn around and go against them because they're going to be defeated. Guess what happened? Now Benjamin had begun to strike and kill about 30 of the men of Israel, for they said, surely they are defeated before us. They got a little too confident, and as in the first battle, but when the cloud began to rise from the city in a column of smoke, the Benjamites looked behind them, and there was the whole city going up in smoke to heaven. And when the men of Israel turned back, the men of Benjamin panicked, for they saw that disaster had come upon them. Therefore, they turned their backs before the men of Israel in the direction of the wilderness, but the battle overtook them. They overtook, the Israelites overtook them. And whoever came out of the cities, they destroyed in their midst. They surrounded the Benjamites, chased them, and easily trampled them down as far as the front of Gibeah's, Gibeah toward the east. And 18,000 men of Benjamin fell. All of these were men of valor. Then they turned and fled toward the, the wilderness to the rock of Rimon, and they cut down 5,000 of them on the highway. So even more. They were whittling them all down. Remember, they started off at 26,700. You're counting them up, right? <laughs> if you count them up, you notice how many's left. Only 600. Look at this. So all, of, all who fell of Benjamin that day were 25,000 men who drew the sword. All these men were men of valor. But 600 men turned and fled toward the wilderness to the Rock of Ramon. And they stayed at the Rock of Ramon for four months. They were hiding out up in those cliffs and those caves. And the men of Israel turned back against the children of Benjamin and struck them down with the edge of the sword from every city, men and beasts and all who were found. They also set fire to all the cities they came to. Now, you're like, wow, tremendous victory. But it wasn't great victory. A civil war never results in a winner, win, one or the other. Everyone loses. Everyone. And that's how the enemy works. 
When you get two camps going on in some situation, and one camp against another, within a church, within a family, within a culture, within a nation, the enemy always looks to get dividing, because if you can get the division going on, and the civil war takes place in that family, mom against dad, kids split, mom and dad and kids go against each other. Within a church, there's a split. Within a nation, there's a left and right, red and blue. All these kinds of divisions. That's how the enemy works, to divide and conquer and bring about a civil war. And no one wins. No one wins. So we see here, God is with and brought about a victory. And we see that the tragedy of these tribes and Israel's against Gibeah was supposed to go in and take out a few men in Gibeah. And it turned out, the civil war turned out where they, the Israelites went beyond just going to Gibeah. Just going beyond just for a few perverted men. No, now Gibeah is wiped out. All the men, women, children, all the cities all being burned down. That is not. Should not have happened. They use the same technique if we remember in Joshua 8. The strategy, strategy that Israel used in AI, where they perhaps use that same strategy like Joshua Moses is to, to be an ambush and to draw the people out and come in. They must have read the papers and understood the writings from Joshua Moses, how they won that war of this AI, so that we could uh, they use that same same approach to take out Gibeah. Maybe, maybe this was a, a good example, maybe, of being so humbled and so in, of repentance that the children of Israel finally went back to the word of God and, and read in, in repentance and realized when they read how Joshua and Moses won a war against their enemy and they read that and said, we will do the same. But the Lord defeated Benjamin before Israel. The awful judgment that fell upon Benjamin was the hand of God. And only 600 men turned and fled, and they went to the wilderness, camping out there for four months. Those 600 men, all by themselves, no one else around to represent the tribe of Benjamin. It's interesting. The tribe of Benjamin was no doubt guilty. There was no doubt there was abomination and the people there, that whole leadership supported that abomination in, that, in, their, in their tribe, in their little part of the nation. Remember, Gibeon is a small minority compared to the rest of the nation, but they affected the rest of the nation. The nation was part of that, and that was why I believe that God brought some overall judgment upon Israel through this. But they became to a point where they turned, and not just for Gibeah, but of the entire, all of Benjamin. It was a complete slaughter, and it was too severe of judgment against the tribe of Benjamin. And it would soon be regretted by Israel. Look what happens in our scriptures here in chapter 21 of, of Judges. Where they're at Mizpah, and they see a curse is laid on one another. Look what happens here. Now the men of Israel had sworn an oath at Mitzpah, saying, None of us shall give his daughter to Benjamin as a wife. We're all making an oath here. The rest of the nation of Israel, none of us will give one of our daughters to any man surviving in the tribe of Benjamin. Consider how angry they were. It might have seemed right in their own eyes at that moment. We're going to cause this nation or this tribe of Benjamin to come non-existent. I don't think they were thinking a non-existence because if they were really thinking their right mind, they would have known they were going against God because God said he established his 12 tribes to the end. 
And now they're taking upon themselves, they're so angry and so resentful, they're willing to go to destroy that tribe. That's what a bitterness and anger will do. It will, you will lose complete objectivity and understanding and truly the word of God. It was a foolish oath. And unforeseen consequences will flood over them here, we will see. Justice not only brings punishment to evildoers, yes it does, but it also guards against punishment that is too harsh. That's why there has to be justice. There has to be a balance of justice. The Bible warns about taking vows and making oaths because of the implication of taking a vow is often... An attitude, a mindset that says, I can pull this off. I can make sure this goes my way. I'll make it happen. It's an attitude of pride. And it's be very careful when you make these vows and these oaths. Verse 2 and 3. Then the people came to the house of God and remained there before God till evening. They lifted up their voices and wept bitterly and said, O God, O Lord our God of Israel, why has this come to pass in Israel that today there should be one tribe missing in Israel? <laughs> Remorse, the after effect. This is where their brother, this is their little brother, this is, this is the entire tribe. They just wiped out beyond. They cried out to the Lord. Almost as if it was his responsibility, if you really kind of, why did this happen? God, remember you led us here, you brought us to this point. It's almost he's, they're blaming God in some ways if you read it. Benjamin's, the tribe of Benjamin is right on the edge of extinction here. Why has this come to pass? What do you mean, why has this have come to pass? Why are you asking God that question? Why has this have come to pass? It's easily answered. Because of the excessive vengeance of the tribes of Israel against the tribe of Benjamin. That is why you're here where you're at. It's like us saying, we violate the precepts, the truth of God, the word of God. We ignore the statutes of God and we don't listen to the leading of God. We rather rebel and overreact and do what we want to do because we think it's right in our own eyes. And then at the very end, when everything is falling apart, you lost your family, you lost your health, you lost everything, your wealth and everything is gone because of your foolishness, because you wouldn't listen to God's word. You wouldn't listen to the spirit of God prompting you to tell you to stop and all these things and thanks a lot Lord you turn around and say thanks a lot Lord my life is a mess why Lord what do you mean you're asking me why your your life is a mess do you want me to give you flashbacks of all the disobedience because you went against the word of God would you like me to go back and remind you of every time I asked the spirit of God was convicting you and you wouldn't listen should I go back and replay all this here? Why are you asking me? Like it's my fault and my responsibility. But that's what, exactly what they were doing. And the conviction came over because it, when they're spaced here, realizing after the bloodbath and all the pain and suffering and, and, and those who are now the 600 men are cursed because they brought a curse upon them, pronouncing that they will never have a woman from the tribe of Israel. And they realize they're going to be extinct. Verse 4, so it was on the next morning that the people rose early and built an altar there and offered burnt offerings and peace offerings. And the children of Israel said, who is there among all the tribes of Israel who did not come up with the assembly to the Lord? That's an interesting question. After all of this aftermath, they all asked Hiramango, now of all the tribes, who didn't come up to help fight? They were all supposed to come up and meet us there. Who didn't come? Let's take a count. Who didn't show? For they had made a great oath concerning anyone who didn't, who had not come up to the Lord at Mizpah, saying, He shall surely be put to death. Wow! 
there was a draft. <laughs> they put a message out to everyone. It's a draft. You're 20 and older. You, and you're fighting men. You better be showing up at Mizpah. Who didn't show? You were locked into jail. Like if you didn't, if it was draft time and you didn't, you were a draft dodger. You could go into jail. No, no, no. Here they said they made out that you would, they would die for not showing up to serve in the army. And the children of Israel grieved for Benjamin, their brother, and said, One tribe is cut off from Israel today. What shall we do for wise for those who remain? Seeing we have sworn by the Lord that we will not give them our daughters as wives. Uh-oh. Interesting. Why are they looking for the people who didn't show? And then blending in the next question, What are we going to do for wives for the 600 guys who we had an oath against that would not get any of our wives. And we all made oaths here together in Mitzvah. Think about that. And they said, What one is there from the tribe of Israel who did not come up to Mitzvah to the Lord? And in fact, no one had come to the camp from Gabesh or Jabesh Gilead to the assembly. What? They weren't there at Mizpah when we made an oath that we would none of us, all of us men bound together. We're none of us are giving up our wives for these, these Benjamites. Never, 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 never. But they, they didn't show. For when the people were counted, indeed, not one of the inhabitants of Gibesh Gilead were there. So the congregation sent out their 12,000 of their most valiant men. What are they going to do? And commanded them, saying, Go and strike the inhabitants of Kabesh Gilead. What? With the edge of the sword, including the women and children. What? And this is the thing that you shall do. What are you going to do? These people didn't show up for the draft, and you're going to go back now with 12,000 choice men of Israelites to go to your brother, who is the tribe the half-tribe of Manasseh on the east side, the Transjordan side. They didn't come across the Jordan to fight. They stayed over there. The others one came over, but not them. And you're going to go over and do what? You're going to wipe them all out, including their women and children too? Because you made a foolish oath that whoever didn't show up, it was going to be consequences? Ah, uh, no, no, no. It gets even worse than that. Look what happens. And this is the thing that you shall do. You shall utterly destroy every male and every woman who has known a man intimately. Oh, they're defining, they're, they're, they're defining it even more. So they found among the inhabitants of Kabesh Gilead 400 young virgins. Of all that part of that tribe, they're going to wipe everybody out except for who? 400 young virgins. They were not touchy them. Why? Because they came up with their own plan in their own eyes. Let's get the virgins and guess what? Those virgins are going to be the wives of 600 men. <gasps> Wait a minute. 400, 600, do the math. They're 200 short. Hold on. These wicked men have come up with a plan. Watch what happens. So these young virgins who had not known a man intimately, and they brought them to the camp of Shiloh, which is in the land of Canaan. Then the whole congregation sent the word to the children of Benjamin, who were at the rock of Ramon, and announced peace to them. That is so wicked in your thoughts. Think about how wicked that is. Man, come on, Adam. We got peace with you, man. We got a peace offering. We got the best peace offering for you. We have 400 virgin women. Come on out. Are you kidding me? You're enticing men with their flesh to get them to come out, to have a peace offering, get them to lure them out? It worked. So Benjamin came back at the time, and they gave them the women whom they had slay, saved alive of the women of Jabesh, Gabesh, Gilead, and yet they had not found enough for them. And the people grieved for Benjamin because the Lord had made a void in the tribes of Israel. 
they decided to slaughter a city of Israel, a city that refused to join with Israel in the fight against Benjamin. And they turned around and they took this, these 400 virgins to bring them in to entice this peace offering so they can say it's almost like they're so guilty we'll actually make one wrong and do another wrong to think two wrongs we're going to make it right it's insanity because two wrongs don't make it right vengeance against vengeance does not make it right Vengeance and then doing some off-the-wall wicked thing by killing all your brothers and sisters who didn't show up in the draft to turn around and take their word to try to make it right for what you screwed up the first time. Now this Jabesh Gilead story is significant. Because if you go back and you read 1 Samuel... You will find this story in 1 Samuel really lines up. Not only in the story in many ways, but the outcome of what takes place. Because it since the group is the very group that Saul saved in his very first military campaign. And 1 Samuel 11 was this part of the tribe. It was the people of Kabesh Gilead who stealthily retrieved Saul and his son's bodies from the Philistines and burned them to avoid them to have any further, further desecration. We see that in 1 Samuel 31. It's in fact the Levites' dismemberment of the, his, the woman at the end of Judges in night, chapter 19 closely echoes the scene in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verses 1 through 11. It goes almost line by line in regards to Saul takes a yoke of oxen, chops the animals up into pieces, and distributes them out throughout Israel to get the attention. It's interesting. Verse 16. Then the elders of the congregation said, What shall we do for the wives of those who remain? We still have a problem. There's two 200 men that are not happy. Since the women of Benjamin had been destroyed. And they said there must be an inheritance for the survivors of Benjamin, but a tribe may not be destroyed from Israel. However, oh, here's plan B. We can give them wives from our, from our daughters, for the children of Israel have sworn an oath, saying, Cursed be the one who gives the wife of ben to Benjamin. Then they said, In fact, there is a yearly feast of the Lord in Shiloh. Why Shiloh? which is north of Bethel, on the east side of the highway that goes up from Bethel to Shechem, and the south of Lebanon. Therefore, they instructed the children of Benjamin, saying, Go lie and wait in the vineyards and watch. Just when the daughters of Shiloh come out to perform their dances, then come out from the vineyards, and every man catch a wife for himself from the daughters of Shiloh. Then go to the land of Benjamin. Then it shall be when their fathers or their brothers come to us to complain, that they will say to them, Be kind to them for our sakes, because we did not take a wife for any of them in the war. For it is not, for it is not as though you have given the women to them, as at this time, making yourselves guilty of your oath. But the children of Benjamin did so. So what happens was they were doing a workaround. You know you all had an oath in front of God. Do not give a daughter. So because they need to find two more hundred women, what they decided to do is, you don't give the women. We won't tell you what to do. You're not going to give out your, your daughters. What we're going to do is tell the Benjamites to go and steal your daughters. And so technically you didn't give them an oath. You didn't officially hand them over an arranged marriage. You didn't do it. Matter of fact, you were shocked and surprised. You came to complain because the Benjamites, these 200, came and took your daughters. But remember, for your sakes and my sakes, don't complain about this because you didn't, you didn't violate your oath. Man. Do you see how deceptive and evil the heart of men is for the nation of Israel at that time? 
Sure enough, Benjamin, the children of Benjamin did so. They took enough wives of their number from those who danced, whom they caught. Then they went and returned to their inheritance back to the land and their cities, and they rebuilt the cities and dwelt in them. So the children of Israel departed from there at that time, every man to his tribe and family. They went out from there, every man to his inheritance. We got it settled. We got it figured out, man. We're pretty smart about this, right? How do we know that's why they were thinking that way? Because in verse 25, in those days, there was no king in Israel, no leader. They weren't following God, really. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. See, this, this kind of moral, political, social, spiritual chaos that we have seen in the book of Judges could only happen where there is no recognized king over Israel. Where people forget about God as their king. And they think they're in control of their lives and they can live however they want to live and game it however they want to game it to make it to be able to please themselves or cover their mistakes. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. It's the 400 period of this 400 year period of judges was marked by this radical individualism. When you see radical individualism, I will do what is right in my own eyes and no one else, has, God can't say anything, no leadership is going to say anything, I will just do whatever I choose to do. And they thought they were following God, right? They went to God a little bit. Bless our plan. Tell us what, you know, who should be going to the fight first. It just the judges was marked by the radical individualism. They rejected the standard of the God's word in their life and accepted the individual standard of what was right in their own eyes. Understand, this mindset of radical individualism sets in motion a civil war in your life. Father, we thank you and praise you. For your word this evening, the closure of the book of Judges, Lord. We thank you and praise you for the time for us to be able to go through these lessons and understandings and applications to our life. May we meditate on your word. May we meditate on the things you were showing us by your spirit. Bless us to us, Lord. Bless not us, us individually family, church family. Encourage us, Lord, and let us learn to keep our eyes upon you and follow you the rest of the days of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you all. Have a wonderful